times to be preaching the gospel in a, in a dark, dark world, right? We get to shine the light of the gospel. It's a blessing. It's a privilege to be in this day and age that we live in and to stand for the Lord. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you, you and I don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves or anything else. We just got time to rejoice and thank God because we have an opportunity to uh, preach the gospel and stand for Christ in a dark world. And uh, even that our for some of our forefathers, you know, the world was always been dark, but not as dark as it is now. So it's incumbent upon us to walk with God now. And uh, that, that we are the ones that are, are to carry the truth, amen? And to be that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, right? Jesus is the truth, and the church is the pillar and the ground of that truth, amen? So we, we're happy about that. I am anyway. I'm blessed by it every day that we get to do that, amen? Uh, that God has uh, brought us about for such a time as this. And we ought to believe that with all of our hearts and believe that God is using us for His glory and that He wants to use us for His glory. And that's a blessing, not one we should take lightly. While we have breath in our lungs, we should preach and we should teach and we should guide and direct and do what we can, amen, until God takes us home. Ephesians 2.15, we're going to talk about Christ. Christ abolished the enmity and He made peace. What that means is that it means that Christ abolished the enmity, you know, that Christ abolished it. He, he destroyed it. He slew it. He slain the en enmity, it says. Um, it says in, uh, so we'll read those verses. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So at first he talks about that word enmity, he talks about abolishing, then he's going to talk about slaying. It means sort of the same thing, just one's a little bit, little bit more pointed, I guess you could say, just a different word to say the same thing, but he's driving that great truth home that Christ, that in Christ that enmity is slain. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Well, there he's talking about the Jew, Right, that were that are the the Gentile that were afar off, and to them that were nigh, he's talking about the Jews. He came and preached peace, right, to both, and brought them to a place of peace. Father, please bless us now. We pray. Thank you so much for your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, abolished in his flesh the enmity. Words mean something, and Bible words definitely mean something. Every word of God is pure, given for a reason. And nothing is there by chance or accident, but on purpose. That word abolished, what does it mean? It means annulled, repealed, abrogated, or destroyed. It means to make void, to annul. Applied chiefly and appropriately to establish laws, contracts, rights, customs, and institution. As to abolish laws by a repeal, actual, or virtual. To destroy or to put an end to, as to abolish your idols, right? To abolish death. Christ abolished death, which we'll talk about. Amen. So he destroyed the power of it. He destroyed these things. Christ abolished them by fulfilling them and then slaying them in his own body. That's how it works. Defining these words are very important. They help us to understand in plain English the message and context of what is being taught to us. God made it very simple. Fifth grade English simple. To abolish in his flesh by the cross of Jesus Christ in his body. That's how he did it. 
Jesus' body was the temple of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said this of his own body. Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Amen. By the way, that's very important if you understand every word right there, right? He said, destroy this temple. He's talking about himself. They're looking around at the temple and thinking how grand everything is. Jesus is saying, destroy this temple, and I, in three days I will raise it up. Amen. He said, he raised it up by his own power. That's the difference in anyone else that was resurrected from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. That's power over death. That's the power of death and life. It's magnificent. It's, it's amazing. When therefore he was risen from the dead, but he spake. Oh, let me back up verse 20. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. How about that? You look at that. They didn't remember it at the time that he said it, did they? There's many things. We're like that too. Sometimes we hear things in preaching. Sometimes we hear, uh, we read things in the scriptures. We don't remember them until years later. Why? Until they apply to us. Now, everything is going to eventually apply in that, in that sense, but sometimes we hear things and it's not really the focus of our life. We're not going through something, so we don't retain that right away. But then the Holy Spirit brings it to our remembrance later. And we're like, wow, yeah, I remember that. I remember the, the Lord instructing that. I remember hearing about that in the scriptures. He abolished something in his flesh. What was it that, that it was that he destroyed in his flesh? His flesh by giving his life a ransom for your soul, by giving his body to be slain on the tree, by becoming a curse for you and I. Because the Bible says, Cursed is every man that hangeth from a tree. Him who knew no sin but became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is in Christ. You know, we talk about abolishing human abortion, right? Well, that is, that is what we mean. Ending it. Putting to death the right of human abortion in that yeah. sense. Right? Putting it to death. Amen. So no one else dies. Amen? That's what we mean by that when we say that. We're not, we don't mean... Christ wasn't talking about incrementalism. Right? He didn't die and say, well, incrementally, I'll save you. No, it's instantly. He said he abolished in his body. Right? That's why, that's why I think the pro-life movement is from the pit of hell. I think it's a joke. I think it's a farce. It's a lie. It's a money-making scheme. It's a control scheme. It's a Hegelian dialectic scheme that both teams use for their advantage. It's a political tool to control people. Because as much as, as, as we talk about all these things, that on, the, the, the United States uh, Supreme Court could have said one thing if they, if, they, if they were really pro-life, as they had all those judges, right, that are supposed to be Republicans that have the majority, right? All they had to say is one thing. It's a life. It's a life. They didn't say that. Why? To keep the game going. Right. To keep the, it keeps the game going. It's all that had to be written about that. They could have wrote it right in there. Is it, is it life? 
Yeah. Does it have the same rights as everything else to exist by God, not by government, by God, that, that this country used to be blessed when it honored God in the beginning of it, when it dishonored God, it went on its way to destruction, right? Because they dishonor. Rights don't come from government, rights come from God. Our Baptist forefathers understood that. They don't come from government, they come from God. And if, some, if some, some government wants to be blessed or some entity, then they leave people alone and they don't kill them. Amen. That's what abolishing means, to put to death, to put an end to, like we talk about. Right? Six times that word abolish is used and we're told to abolish idols in the scriptures. God tells that us that his righteousness shall not be abolished, but he says the works of man shall be abolished. Christ abolished the enmity for us, though, and Christ abolished death. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, death is not abolished for all men. It's only abolished for them in the gospel if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, your body will go to the grave, but up from the grave it will arise. Death will not hold it. And to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. It has no hold on the saint, right? That's what it means to abolish death. Once and for all, when he comes again, he'll abolish it forever. But here we look at what he abolished, and that's the enmity. What is that exactly? Words, again, have importance. They have meaning and power. And we should understand whereof we speak, so we're ready to explain. In simple fifth grade English, to all men everywhere, the wonderful works of God. That enmity is the quality of being an enemy. It's the opposite of friendship. It's ill will, hatred, unfriendly dispositions, malevolence. It expresses more than aversion and less than malice. And it differs from displeasure in denoting a fixed or rooted hatred, whereas displeasure is more transient. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Enemies. So I'll put that there. God put that enmity there. How about the carnal mind is said to be at what? Enmity against God. People wonder, why do all these, well, look, why do all these people get mad at you when you preach? Do you ever read Romans? Do you ever read the Bible? Do you understand the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? What do you mean, why do people get angry? Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Right? That's the natural man. He's at enemy, he's an enemy of God. That's... Same reason why I got mad before I was saved <laughs> at the gospel, at, at living for God. I got mad too, right? If you admit it too, you got mad too. You wanted to go your own way and do your own thing before you were saved. It's the way it is when we're lost. We want to do our own thing our own way. We still get in the flesh sometimes and want to do that to save people. But the difference is we recognize God because we can't help but do it. But the carnal mind is at enmity against God. 
What does that mean? It means a state of opposition. You go out there and you preach the Bible and, 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 and when you preach the Bible to these people, they're in a state of opposition against it. Right? I always laugh at these people because they're like, you should do things like Jesus and the apostles. Why? Do you want to kill me? Right? Why? Is it because you want to kill me or what? I don't know where they get this like soft lovey-dovey thing that they think. Every single Jesus included, number one, what they kill him for? Because he was righteous and he preached the gospel. He called them to repentance. He told them what they were. Amen. And what they want, they... He said, you want to kill me? Why? Because I tell you the truth. Why did they kill Paul? Because he told him the truth. Why did they kill Peter? Because he told him the truth. Why did all the apostles die except John and they, and they boiled him in a pot like a frog and he jumped out? Got out of there and ran. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> right? Why? Well, because pre- the, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Until you get saved, you're the enemy of God. You could be sitting in this church tonight, and if you're lost, you're the enemy of God. So I don't feel like I'm the enemy of God. No matter how you feel, it matters what the truth is. If you're not saved, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you never repented and put your faith and trust in Christ alone, then you're the enemy of God. And by the way, you'll turn on God. You'll turn on people that love God. Until you get saved by the grace of God. I told those people that when we, when we were preaching, they've said it many times, the carnal mind, the natural mind, is the enemy of God. Because we want to go our own way and do our own thing. It's, it's not hard to foment rebellion. It comes naturally. To rebel against authority is as natural as breathing for, for us as lost people. For human nature. It ain't hard to foment any rebellion. We got it tied up in our DNA. It's part of who we are. It's as natural as breathing. And the Bible says the friendship of the world is enmity with God. When you and I take the side of the world, we're the enemy of God. That friendship is enmity. It causes enmity. That word is eight times in the Bible. The first time references the serpent and Eve. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Well, isn't there enmity there? I mean, I'm Christ's seed, right? Aren't you? Aren't you? So isn't there enmity with the world? Right. Isn't, that, isn't that there? I mean, you, you see people get saved, newly saved and baptized and trying to follow God, and all of a sudden, it's like, God, they come out of the woodwork hating you. Man, they are angry with me. They are angry with you. Right? David, people at his old job, play sermons of mine just to get mad. Dave didn't play him. They played him. And then they got mad. But I, all I did was go in there and buy cars. I didn't do anything to those people. <laughs> but they got mad, didn't they? Imagine that. I had the whole car lot mad at me. <laughs> I just found that out. I was like, wow. Right? They were all mad. What are they mad about? Preaching. It makes people mad. If you ain't right with God, if you don't love God, you'll get mad at it. You won't like it. They didn't like it, did they? 
The seventh time that word enmity is used has God's stamp of perfection on it, though. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Yes. Isn't that right? The slain enmity. God says, you know, the perfect perfection of that is Christ slaying it, ending it, right? They are words to bring men to repentance. These are salvation words, words of condemnation of the natural man and words of reconciliation to all those that seek pardon in Christ alone. They are the essence of the gospel. These words that you will learn in this book, you will find that they are the essence of the gospel and understanding it. These are important legal terms that are given. And you have to understand that these terms, your salvation is not an emotional experience. It is a legal transaction with heaven. I'm not saying it doesn't work sorrow, that God doesn't work that. What I'm saying is, is your, your assurances and your dependencies have nothing to do with your emotions. They have everything to do with who Christ is and what he has done. And the more you understand that, with biblical logic, I won't say worldly logic, because the Bible has its own logic, because it's God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is, is, is foolishness to the lost. But unto us, it is wisdom. Why? Because they're fools, and they won't receive it. But God is wiser than all. And when you understand biblical logic, it's way different than your philosophical garbage that's out there. Right? The Bible has its own built-in logic. It's called the mind of Christ. It's very logical. Jesus came down and showed it's very logical to believe God. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about humanism. I'm talking about biblical wisdom. Look at the book of Proverbs. We're going through it right now on Sundays. Look at, look at, it's, it's, it's biblical logic. That's what it is. It's biblical understanding, biblical reasoning. Let us sit down and reason together, said God. Though your sins be as scarlet, be white as snow. That's biblical. I don't care what the world calls it. I could care less. They don't know anything anyway. God says they're fools. They don't know anything. Nothing of any value. Oh, they might tell you how to get rich. Maybe. They might tell you how to do all those things, but I wouldn't trust their logic. I wouldn't trust their logic. I wouldn't trust them for decisions in your life. I would trust God. I'd follow God's book. They'll lead you down a road and drop you off a cliff somewhere and laugh at you while you're down on the ground. See, these are words to bring men to repentance. Now remember, Paul is explaining this to the saved. Paul is, in Ephesians 2, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to lost people. Although it applies to, it, it, it's used to witness to lost people, but it's, it's, it's actually to the saved. He's explaining the benefits of salvation, what God did. And what he did in them so they could, so these Jews and Gentiles together in this one body can understand what God did for both of them. So then neither one of you have any right to brag. Right? None of us have a right to boast. <laughs> That's why he said, not by works, right? Lest any man should boast. So the Jew can't boast, the Gentile can't boast. Right. You both had to be saved. You're both lost and on your way to hell and both had to be saved. Amen. So now, now we're all beggars, right? right. Yeah. Amen. That's what Paul is explaining here. He's explaining this to the saved, but the lost can benefit by hearing it. The lost can benefit by accepting this great gospel truth that Christ has abolished the enmity 
but it is only in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that this enmity can be abolished. One man said it this way, sin breeds a quarrel between God and men. Christ came to take up the quarrel and to bring it to an end by reconciling both Jew and Gentile, now collected and gathered into one body, to a provoked and an offended God, and this by the cross, or by the sacrifice of himself upon the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. He being slain or sacrificed, slew the enmity that there was between God and poor sinners. He slew it in his own body, because man was definitely in a war with God. And Christ was the ultimate minister of reconciliation by his own blood to make peace. And peace he made. Amen. Thank God. If you're not a child of God, then that enmity is still there. You are still the enemy of God by wicked works. You are still at odds with God and counted his enemy. It is only in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the perfect and sinless Son of God that these terms of reconciliation are met. Not in religious rites, because they have been abolished. Not in works, because they are filthy. But in Christ alone, in his body, they have been abolished. Sin, the greatest enemy of God and of mankind, has been abolished in Christ's body. It also says in another place, a few verses down, that he's slain the enmity. Stronger words are used here, even than before, to drive home this great truth that Christ abolished and slain the enmity by his atonement. He killed it. He destroyed it. He ended it forever, the enmity. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, in his body. Having met the full demands of the law by his life, and having paid the full penalty of the law by his blood and death, he has abolished in his flesh the enmity. Having slain it, the enmity is the sinner's offense against the law. Sin against God's law puts the sinner at enmity with God. And Christ has abolished and slain the enmity to render it inactive, useless, ineffective. The twofold description, abolish and slain, indicates the perfection of Christ's atonement. The price having been fully paid, the enmity is done. It cannot rise again. It has no more power. Those who put their faith in Christ savingly are eternally liberated from the curse of the law and from separation from God and from all other consequences of the enmity. Just like what, when the Bible talks about what Christ did in Acts, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So Christ not only abolished, but he has slain that enemy, never to rise again. The greatest enmity being sin and death, he slew those. But that's not all that he slew. That's not all that it talks, that the scripture is referencing. He goes on to speak, uh, continue to speak about this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Now he's going to explain to you number two, point number two here. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, this what we're going to talk about is what separated the Jews and the Gentiles. This law. And he's dealing with the ceremonial law. 
Because we know it's just the ceremonial law and it's not the moral law. How do we know that? Because Paul preaches the entire moral law throughout his epistles to the church. He never, James did too. And when that certain came from James, he said, no, they don't have to do circumcision. No, they don't have to keep the food rights. And no, they don't have to do all these things. But they do need to abstain from fornication and live for God. Not to, not to inherit eternal life, but because they're children of God, in order to have fellowship with God's people, you can't live wickedly. Right? So, because you're not going to be able to walk with God living in fornication. It's the first thing that Jesus mentioned when he talked about the same thing. So Paul's not preaching anything differently in that sense. But what, what is the difference here? He slew the, the, the ceremonial law that separated those two. Do you understand that? So he's explaining the fact that, well, you come up and you're a pork abstaining Jew and you get saved by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul preaches, you get saved, you get baptized, you show up to the, to the church in Ephesus, you walk in and all of a sudden your buddy's like, hey, you want a piece of this pork? <laughs> you know, you're like, well, that could be a little bit of a problem, couldn't it? Or... Your clothing is not made out of certain fabric or or your other or you find out that Jebediah is circumcised and Tony there isn't, right? Uh-oh. How are we going to get along here? Well, Paul's going to explain that here. He's going to explain that that enmity, that the, 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 command, the commandments contained in ordinances, that those commandments, those things, specifically, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, abolished. That's the enmity. That's why, why do you think they wanted to, remember what we went over when, we, when Paul was in Jerusalem? Why did they want to kill him? He let one of them pork-eating Gentiles into the temple, into the synagogue. And he got to go in the, in the inner place of the synagogue. That's why they the whole city was in an uproar. How do you make Jews mad? Put somebody that doesn't keep the law square, uh, straight up into their worship services. When there's a warning and a plaque on the outside saying, no Gentiles allowed. If you go in here, if you die, well, you die. Well, what's Paul preaching in Ephesus? He's writing them and he's telling them that's done. The enmity is slain. That's over. That's the law of command. It's not the moral law. It's the ceremonial law that separated them. It, it, they couldn't be around each other. Why? Because every ceremony was a shadow of Christ and a picture of what Christ was. But an imperfect picture, as Hebrews tells us. They were just types and symbols and man i could show you there's 218 different types and symbols of christ in the old testament temple uh, i've got a book that covers every single one of them that someone who studied really hard went through all of them 218 types and symbols in the old testament of christ and there's probably more than that okay that's the ones that he minded out but you can find those in the scriptures as well i mean with joseph he was a hundred times a type of Christ. You can show in Joseph's life alone from the Bible specifically, this book right here, you go through and you can see every single type of Joseph being a type of Christ and the story in a picture of redemption. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's there. It's, it's in the scriptures, right? So he abolished the law of commandments contained in those ordinances, which law was made merely for the purpose of keeping the Jews a distinct people and pointing out the Son of God till he should come, said one, when therefore the end of its institution was answered, it was no longer necessary, and Christ by his death abolished it. 
Christ came to all men, right? He came to the Jews first, but what did he tell, the, what did he tell his disciples? Remember, I'm a firm believer that he came to the, to the sheep of the lost, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, I, I don't have my theology confused. I know why he came and who he came for. And the first church was Jewish. I don't have a problem with that. What's that? Amen. He sure is. Stepping down right where he left right over there, too. His land. His land. Who's the king of Israel? Jesus. His land. He's coming back for his land. All these people saying, well, they fight over Israel's pagan. Yeah, there are a lot of things. But that belongs to him, and he's the king. And the king's coming back again. He's going to step right down on there. So I, I believe that. You ain't never convinced me of otherwise. I read this book from cover to cover, and I don't see anywhere where, where that's metaphorically speaking. That's right. He is the Messiah. That's right. A amen. Absolutely. But these, these when, he, when he came, he abolished that. He put to death that entity. Why? Well, how could Jews and Gentiles dwell together in one body if he didn't abolish it? So who's explaining that? Paul is. Why? Because Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. And the shift of the gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the shift is changing. It's going to the world. So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he is teaching that to Gentiles. And, to, and, and it's no longer a gospel given to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is now to the world. And each individual Jew can still be saved. But when they're saved, they're brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't lose their fact that they're Jewish. It's just they're part of that body. God's not dealing with the body, with, with the nation of Israel. He's dealing with the body of Christ. That's the difference. See, if you get those two confused, you'll want to blow people up, kill people, start wars, yeah. yep. burn things down, and all kinds of other things what people do. Why? And you'll think you replace Jews and all kinds of weird stuff. Dominionism. Dominionism. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep. amen. That's right. Yep, it's a package deal. It comes together, yeah. Yeah, that's why the Pope calls himself a king. Right. Right, and he's over there, and what is he the king of? Well, he's the king of anti-Christ religion. Right? And that's what he does. But see, that's because, why? Well, because he's got Antichrist theology. And what's he hate? He hates the Jews. That's why he uses certain Jews to do what he wants. Right? And absolutely hates Christians. Right? He's the equal opportunity. But, but uh, especially Christians, yeah. But he wants to build his temple. And I, I'm telling you, I believe they're going to blow it up over there, and I believe he's going to build one. But anyway, maybe we won't be alive for that, but... We'll see it from the other side. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be fine with that, too. Uh, but uh, anyway, what had been metaphorically understood by the word wall is now more plainly expressed, right? So he talked about that middle wall of partition. Partition. You know, what is he talking about? He's talking about the abolishing of that law that kept Jew and Gentile apart, like the court of the Gentiles, right? Well, they couldn't go in there. Well, now we all can by Christ because the temple's in heaven. And we all can go in, Right? That the temple down here was just a picture of the temple up there. Albeit a pale one at that. Now we all have access by the body of Christ, by our high priest. And that's what Paul is explaining, that, that there's no more, the ceremonies by which the distinction was declared have been abolished. 
through Christ. That's the only way, by the way. If you're a Jew and, and you don't get saved by the grace of God, you're still holding on to, to your temple worship. Right? Right? They hold on to it. What do they have enemy against? Anything Christ. Because it hasn't been abolished. They get saved by the grace of God. What happens? Abolished enemy. Enmity. It's over. There's, we're no longer enemies. That's what happens. What were circumcision, sacrifices, washings, and abstaining from certain kinds of foods, but symbols of sanctification, reminding the Jews that their lot was different from other nations? That's why did he give the Sabbath? Who did he give the Sabbath to? A sign to who? That's right. Israel. It's to the house of Israel, right? To the house of Jacob. That's, that's who he gave the sign to. It's a sign to the Jews. The Sabbath is not for you and I. It wasn't given to you and I as a sign. It was given to the Jews. Till Christ would come. Right? And the, so circumcision is the same thing. Washings and abstaining from certain kinds of foods. All of those things were symbols. They were pictures of, of the future. Paul declares not only that the Gentiles are equally with the Jews admitted to the fellowship of grace so that they no longer differ from each other, but that the mark of difference has been taken away for ceremonies have been abolished. That's why we, that's why Jews that get saved, they don't need to go to any of those old, uh, follow any of those old ceremonies or sacrifices. Some of them might, but they don't need to. People say, oh, they're messianic Jews. They just, well, they don't have to. Paul said they don't have to. No one has to. Why? They've been abolished. Right. Why would you worship a type when you have the substance, which is Christ? Right? Why would you? Now, Paul, Paul said that some of them did, and he said, you know, let no man judge you in meat or drink or in a holy day, right? But those were, the, those were legitimate holy days that were in the Old Testament. They weren't Christmas and, and things like that that people make up and try to say it's a holy day. Right. Not, exactly. Exactly. No, it's not, it's not sacerdotal salvation or any of those things. It, it has nothing. That, those things are all... Those things are all abolished. Amen. They're abolished. No Christian should be a part of any of those things. Amen. In fact, they show their distinction in following. I'm a New Testament Christian. I realize there are principles in the Old Testament for me, and there's wisdom in the Old Testament for me, but the New Testament is written for me to follow. That's, I'm a, I'm, that's what the, I'm under the New Covenant. If you don't understand that, read Hebrews till your brain blows up. Because he explains it. He explains why Christ is better. Man, I, I just went through, if you do that word better, it's, tw guess how many times it is? 12 times in Hebrews. The 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> 12 tribes. Right. 12 times that word better is. And what is he telling? One for each tribe, I guess. <laughs> the, the, the covenant of Christ is better. 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 All the way through. He explains it. It's powerful, friend. I mean, th these words, just in this, in I've learned so much from doing this Ephesians, uh, th just studying this and, and gleaning that I've learned so much over the past months just how to explain this and how it, it is more clear to me than ever what was being taught here and to, to understand what our blessings are in Christ and understand that, that why we don't 
do any of those ordinances or practice any of those things except what the, the local New Testament church ordinances that Christ set down. And he made clear. Everything else is done away. Why? Because everything else is trying to go back in time. And why would I do that? Christ already came. I, why would I go back? It's actually kind of a slight, it is a slight to Christ. Right, exactly. It's not the same covenant. Right, that's right. That's right. It's the New Testament in his blood. It is, it is different. That's, that's, right. If you get that confused, I'm telling this is why people, and by the way, most of those people, they don't, they like to do all these pictures. They like to, they like to take the New Testament and treat it like the Old Testament. So they turn it into a bunch of pictures of everything. It, right, yeah, you do. Yeah, you got to learn some origin theology and all kinds of other goofy stuff to pick that up. If two contending, I like what one man said about this, if two contending nations were brought under the dominion of one prince, he would not only desire that they should live in harmony, but would remove the badges and marks of their former enmity. When an obligation is discharged, the handwriting is destroyed, a metaphor which Paul employs on this very subject in another epistle. He talks about the handwriting of ordinances, right? It's blotted out. Why? Because we're the New Testament church, that's why. And that's what God did. That's what Christ did when he came and died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. So there's no reason to go back in time and to, to, to go back into the old covenant. It doesn't fit. All of that was a picture forward to what Christ was going to do. And then once he did it, we're to follow it. And then the Apostle Paul lays down the epistles to the church, the New Testament church, and how they're to live. Right? And there's nothing contradictory in there. It makes perfect sense if you read it for what he says. It'll contradict itself if you're trying to apply Old Testament rights to New Testament church. <laughs> you get mighty confused. But once you clearly understand what he is explaining here, that he did away with the handwriting of ordinances, right? Even the law of commandments, he abolished in his flesh, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's where the law of the commandments were contained, in those ordinances, Old Testament ordinances. We have two New Testament ordinances. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are our ordinances because he, he fulfilled all the other ones That's and then he right. abolished them. That's right. Amen. It's clear, man. It's clear. I thank God for it being clear. I don't have to be confused. By the way, he said, which consisted of many precepts and carnal ordinances, and so is called because it was an indication of God's hatred of sin. That's what it was. All of those Old Testament rites to slay a lamb, and it was how much God hated sin. Right? And that he was going to slay his only begotten son for sin. By requiring sacrifice for it because it was an occasion of stirring up the enmity of the natural man, it being a burden and weariness to the flesh by reason of its many troublesome rites, and because it was the cause of enmity between Jew and Gentile. It caused a lot of enmity. Those people, they're providing the sacrifice, they're going through all those things, a constant reminder. What, what couldn't it do? It couldn't do what the Holy Ghost did when we were saved by grace. What did he do? He clears the conscience of those things. Right? And if there is any remembrance of it, we remember the blood of Christ. And we remember the truth. It is evident, too, that Paul is here treating exclusively of the ceremonial law. For the moral law is not a wall of partition separating us from the Jews, but lays down instructions in which the Jews were not less deeply concerned with than ourselves. 
So we know that Paul was not doing away with morality and taking an antinomian approach, which is what the, the modern people, they try to take an antinomian approach and say, well, all the law is, is slain. No. Well, the only thing that separated the Jew and the Gentile were those rites and ordinances. That's right. Just like, well, how do I know that? Well, it's the first thing they mention to us when we're out preaching, don't they? They mention all the Jewish rites and ordinances. Well, do you do this? No, I'm not an Old Testament Jew. Why would I do it? Right. Why, why would I do it? Do you eat pork like a champ? Why wouldn't I? Got some pork. But, you know, uh, they, they, why wouldn't I? I'm, I'm not an Old Testament Jew. Does it look like I show up to a temple and, and, and grab a lamb and go sacrifice it? No, why don't I? Because Jesus came. Amen. And I understand that. And, then, and by the way, if you want to explain that to him, now you can turn to Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 2 here, and in Ephesians chapter 2, you can show him. Just show him, run down these verses right here and show him. Hebrews is a great book for that too, by the way, because he talks about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He makes it all make sense together, which right. is just phenomenal to me. When he, takes, when he goes back through all those Old Testament rites and everything, and he shows the truth, amen, of Christ. Because when that certain, remember, Paul was not doing away with morality. We know that because when that certain came from James, he deals with fornication, wickedness, and, you know, not living in that lifestyle. And Jesus dealt with that as well. And the apostles dealt with that. Paul deals with it in all of his opinions. I mean, what does he say? Walk in the spirit, right? Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And then he goes in, and then he goes in to tell you what it means to walk in the spirit and what it means when you walk in the flesh. He, he talks about the works of the flesh that are manifest, which are these. Right? So Paul is going, he's preaching the moral law, but he preaches something beyond the moral law. You know what that is? Christ. Amen. Putting on Christ is putting on more than the moral law. That's right. The law of Christ. Right. The law of Christ trumps it all. Grace is greater Amen. than the law. Amen. It is greater than the law. Grace is greater. Why? Because grace is a teacher, and it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, it doesn't stop there. Oh, I stopped doing all these things. Wonderful. But what else does he say? Righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope, right? And the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying that grace goes farther than the law and morality of the law. Goes farther. It's not only what you don't do. It's what you're supposed to put on, which is Christ. And we're supposed to do, we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We go farther. Grace goes farther. Grace is better. Amen. Grace is better. And plus, you have the sealing of the Holy Ghost, which is promised nowhere in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. It's promised to the New Testament saint, right? Sealed under the day of redemption, right? When is that? When you see Jesus, Amen. when you see, when he redeems all things, That's right. it's, it's simple when you, when you, when you rightly divide it, when you understand what is being taught there, it'll teach you how to live. So many Christians, unfortunately, they have a legalistic attitude towards it. Well, you know, this is the law and this is what we're going to obey. This is what we're going to do. Well, okay, well, you don't, I don't do this. That's like Roman Catholics, they teach that, right? The, what do they teach about uh, their certain sins? I forget, mortal, what do they call them, Jacob? You probably know. What, 
what's that? Mortal sins that are like if you commit them or whatever, right? They have all these lists. Where'd they get that from? Out of their own head. I was going to say something else, but it wouldn't be very kind, so I'll, I'll keep it. But, uh, but they, they, that's, what's that? I know, I know, that's right. But, uh, but, this, but they, they, they make them up in the, as a figment of their imagination, right? That's, that's what happens. And it's not biblical. Because you're to put on Christ. You and I are to live like Christ. We're not, to, we're not to just not do these things. Great, you're not doing these things. It's wonderful you're not a fornicator. It's wonderful that you're not out and out stealing. That's wonderful. You shouldn't, right? But, but it goes beyond that. It doesn't say, let him that stealeth. It says, let him that stealeth steal no more. But rather, right. what? Work with his hands and be able to what? Give to others. So it goes beyond just what this said, right? It goes beyond because why? Putting on Christ is different. Amen. It's more. That's why, the, that's why Christ is better than all. That's why grace is better. That's why Christ is better. But because the, the law was imperfect. It could not save. Christ had to save. Amen. It's Jesus. Right? They could not rightly fellowship these Jew and Gentile. Why? Circumcision, dietary laws kept them and the Jews and the Gentiles apart. They could not eat with each other. They could not, they, if they weren't circumcised, right? They, uh, remember, they gave Peter such a hard time. You, you, you don't look at that the way, the way they looked at it. You just think, oh, he went back and he gave a report to the church. It was all cool. No, he went to an, into a bone-chilling cold room of people that were staring at him, wondering if they needed to stone him for being in a house with those people. You think I'm exaggerating and I'm not. Those people had never heard of a man going into a Gentile house and doing what he did, and then the Holy Ghost fell on them, and Cornelius and his whole house get saved. The people that are with them come under the power of the Holy Ghost, and they're going back and they're reporting this. That was a bone-chilling room right there, man. It was, not, it was not an easy crowd to come back and give a report to. No one did that. Jews didn't do that. They didn't go do that. But they did now. Why? Because, well, and honestly, this is before Paul gave his epistles to the church, right? So Paul hadn't wrote this yet. So Peter's on like, thin ice. Right? He's come, but he's under the power of the Holy Spirit, and these people got saved. And he can't lie. Peter can't go back and say, well, you know, I mean, I just wanted to preach to him. I got overzealous. I get, no, he had to tell him, look, these people got saved. They got saved the same way you did. And then those, those Jewish believers are like, then hath God also granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. And why? Because the Holy Ghost was in it, and they couldn't argue with it. See, that's why that sign had to, get, to be given, right? That's why, the, that's why the, the Holy Ghost dropping and all those things happened. That had to happen to show them that it was the power of God. It doesn't have to happen today. People don't have to babble with their tongues yeah. and run around and say things that don't matter, that, that are pooky-poo and all other kinds of nonsense right. that they say and everything else that means nothing at all. That ain't what they said. They spoke in languages. That's right. And they heard it, and it was a sign to the Jews. For them to know, then God hath also granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. That, that had to happen. If it didn't, 
It would have made a mess. Because how are you going to preach the gospel to all the world? You think about what Jesus commanded those apostles to do. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's before he left. He's getting ready to take off. And oh, by the way, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. And he's taken off. And he's like, but wait. Why do you, now you see the importance of why they had to wait? Why? They had to have the gift of tongues. They had to have them on Pentecost. Because that, they had to fall and they had to hear the wonderful works of God spoken in 17 different languages right there. Why? Because otherwise wasn't nobody going to believe that they were supposed to go out all over the world and preach. How are you going to go into the house of these people, these heathens? Right. Right. So he equipped. That's why he told them to wait. You wait till you, you be endowed with power from on high. Wait. Don't go anywhere until you get that power. The Holy Ghost fell. They got the power. They spoke in tongues. Everybody heard it. The gospel blasted out from Jerusalem. Because all those people were there. You think it was an accident? That it was 50 days from Pentecost that that happened? Like that was... No, it was all on purpose. God knew they were going to be right there. That they were going to be at that time. Everybody was going to be gathered there. You might think that he did not. Yeah, he did it on purpose. That's yeah. why That's why he didn't do it again. That's why he doesn't do it right now. The Holy Ghost don't fall in that way now, and you all speak right. in different languages. Why? It's not needed. We have this. By the way, tongues, they were also given for the purpose of finishing this book. Well, this is the King James, but to finish the scriptures that they had at the time in the Greek. They had to finish it. What did they need? They needed a word of knowledge. You know why you don't need a word of knowledge? Here's your word of knowledge. Amen. When they got a word of knowledge, it was to write this. Yeah. It wasn't a word of knowledge by some loudmouth lady standing up in front of you. Uh-oh. Right? I've heard it all, believe me. Well, maybe not at all. I don't want to hear it all, but I better hurry up. i got to get done with this. <sighs> I'm enjoying it, though. I really am. Amen. That's what, by the way, but that's what the gifts were for. Those sign gifts were to Israel, and they were to finish the scriptures. Once they were done, they weren't needed anymore. God gifted other men later to translate them. Do you really believe that? Well, yeah, don't you? <laughs> I mean, how else would they do it? You think any man could take this book without God's power and tra translate the scriptures out of the, out of the original tongue? You think they could do that without God's power? you really believe the Holy Ghost led them? You don't? Well, how'd they do it then? Well, they were very scholarly. Yeah. Nah. We've seen a lot of those guys. They mess things up bad. God used them. God touched them. He, he allowed them to do that. He gave them the power to it. Yeah, he did inspire them. I, I believe that. I don't know how else you could do it. Because I ain't going to sit down and be like, well, I'm inspired by God. I think I'm going to write a new translation. I'm not John MacArthur. I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to, like, write my own Bible or anything. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I'm just... Oh, and I'm just itching, by the way. I promised you last year, I said, I'm going to tackle the ESV. And as soon as I'm done with this Proverbs 31 on Sunday mornings, which I think I just have a few left, maybe, and uh, I, I'm going to, we're going to talk about the ESV. We need to talk about the ESV. And I need to have that out there on record for Amen. all those folks to see. 
So they know the, the truth, right? That little, that little Judas translation of the Bible, right? That traitor's translation. I want to call it like the traitor's translation. <laughs> but we'll get, I'll get to that. I'm not going to have very many Reformed friends, but then again, I don't think I really do. <laughs> it's probably not too many. Amen. I hope I can. I hope I can convince them mightily with the scriptures to turn from their idolatry of following scholars and believe the Bible. That's a good one. I like that. I like that. But by the sacrifice of His flesh, right? That's how it happened. That's how Christ did it. Christ must needs abolish these things in his flesh, being only Jew, the only Jew who is fully God and fully man to obey the Jewish law perfectly and die in perfection with the sin of mankind on him so Jew and Gentile alike could dwell in unity and peace in the body of Christ. By the sacrifice of his flesh, his nature is a man that is in union with his divine nature. Amen. Well, I think I'll stop right there probably. Because I still got, I was overzealous this week. I kind of am every week, but um, I always want to have too much and not enough. You know what I mean? I don't want to shortchange you. Anyway, we'll talk about next week the one new man and the one new body here. Because that's an important part. Then we'll segue into the next verses. I want to kind of, I almost got, let's see here, let's see. One body by the cross, having slain them, and came and preached peace to them which were far off, and to them that were nigh. We already kind of talked about that. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So we're going to, uh, this one new man, we're going to cover that, and then we're pretty much done with 16. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to cover part of that next week because I want to cover that other salvation word, reconcile, which is an important word to cover. Uh, but the one, one new man, one new body. That's not speaking about you and your new body. It's speaking about the Lord's church, the body of Christ. One new man, one new body, all together. One new man, one new body. But uh, you can make an application for both there as far as the new man being the new man in Christ. But the one body, you're sitting in it. That's what he's talking about, amen? You're gathered together in that. That's the, that's the body that he's talking about. He's talking about us as a body, as a church. So, uh, because of course... We don't believe in the universal, invisible church. Well, I mean, I, I hope none of us do anyway. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, if you do, then I'll go back and teach all those. That'll be fun. But anyway, and then I want to move forward here and get through. Uh, hopefully, uh, I got 18, 18 through 22. I got a lot of sermons I figured out in chapter 1 and 2 uh, that's taken longer, but that's okay. Uh, Lord willing, we have plenty of time to get through it, but I would like to get on to chapter three and get moving on here because we've got, we got, we're only, we hit chapter three, we're halfway through here. So uh, I want to move it faster than I did the book of Acts. It took me like, I don't know, was it four years, Jacob, or something like that? I don't know. I skipped a year, didn't I, or something? Three years? Yeah, I skipped it. Yeah, that took a long time. Of course, in all fairness, some of those guys do that every, every service, though. And I don't do that, but uh, I don't feel led to do that. If I did, I would, but I just don't. So I like covering a few different things. Uh, and, uh, but we've been, we've been going through Proverbs 31 really well, so uh, we're getting through that too. But I hope you learned something. Amen. I, I, I believe these are meant to feed you, and that's why we slow down and we take it verse by verse and we talk about these things that are being taught here because they're very important things. 
okay, that need to be uh, understood. By the way, this is the kind of these are the kind of things that strengthen your faith. They help you to understand what you what what you believe, you know, and a different way to explain that. But also the difference in the old and the new testament, the difference in the old covenant, the new covenant, the difference in living for God and what Christ did at salvation for us. Paul is explaining that. You don't find that really anywhere else in any other but his epistles where it's actually explained, where he expounds on everything that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection did for us. And he's really, he's explaining why. He's strengthening them to teach them that, that unity, right, together in one body. He's talking about the church at Ephesus, but he's saying you can apply this to all the churches, right? It's to all the churches of the Lord. But he's, he, because he's going somewhere with this. Because he's going to get in how to live and how to raise your children and how to, how to lead a wife. And he's going to get into all those things. And, he, you know, and then in Ephesians 6, he, he has us all equipped as families, all equipped as believers. And then he says, now it's time to go to war. And you've got to have your armor on to go to war. You specifically, but also as a church corporately. We are the one new man that is going to war. Right? And Christ is our head and we are the body. And we go to war. So he, there, there's that, uh, there's that uh, great truth there too, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But you need to know what you believe and you need to be able to explain it and understand this, especially because we live in a day and age where people are the Hebrew roots and all, and the reformers, and all, they're trying to drag everybody back into that Old Testament teachings and drag them back into those, you know, and, and it has implications that are far reaching. You're seeing in our world today, the religious crusades that go on are a misunderstanding and a misapplication of Scripture or an absolute twisting of it, either way you look at it. But that's what it is, and it's because people don't understand these great truths that are here. And they're simple. If, we, if you're saved, you're a child of God, and you, you want to learn them, they're here. And I thank God we're doing it. I, never, I didn't have this in mind at all, but God, as we continue to preach through these verses, this is what God is teaching us, and I thank God for it. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the preaching and teaching of your word. Thank you for your church, Lord, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our, in our testimonies, in our everyday actions, Lord. Help us be faithful to you. Lord, bless and keep all of us safe and healthy and help us to return safely on Sunday, Lord. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.